This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, friends. Man, I'm so looking forward to sharing some time with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege to guide us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God. And boy, as we head into this holiday season, there's so much exciting stuff happening in and around our church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today. But I definitely want to draw your attention to the program. You need to grab one of these when you come in. It's got so much in here that you do not want to miss out on. So go ahead and grab your program. And if you would, pull out this card that says Start Here. Uh, It's a connection card. It just keeps us connected to you and keeps you connected to us. If you're a guest with us today, uh, don't worry. We won't abuse this information. We would just ask that you would put your name on this card right now, along with all the rest of us, and then your email address. And if I've earned your trust over the next 35 minutes or so, we're going to pass some baskets, and I'm just going to ask you to drop this card into the basket when it's passed. And we're also going to be using this a little bit later. So go ahead and, and get that filled out. The other thing you want are our teaching notes. We're launching a brand new series today. This has the Bible verses we're looking at. It's got some fill in the blanks. It's got some questions for further discussion. So whether you are in a life group or you'll be discussing these questions or you just want to take these home and dig a little more into this this week, that's going to be a great tool for you as well. Well, a little bit about me, if you're new to New Life, um, is that I have two young children. Maddie is seven and Landon is four and a half. And the great thing about kids at this age is they think that everything I say is hilarious. They just, they laugh all the time, which gives me a false sense of my own humor. But I shared a joke with them yesterday that I made up. I was working on it all morning for Halloween. I shared it at lunch and it was a killer. So I'm going to share it with you just because I love you and I'm sure that you will enjoy it too. Here was my joke to the kids. Um, What is the cake of choice? For Halloween goers around the world, I scream cake. I scream cake. I I know. I know what you're thinking. Uh, Yes, you can use it. Yes, you can use it. You have my permission. It's so good. That was so good. I just uh, tweet it if you want to. Your friends will love it. They'll love it. So there you go. Well, Halloween is over. It's come and gone. I hope you had a safe and fun uh, time yesterday. And can you believe it's already November 1st, which means we are launching into the holiday season. And I love it. I, I enjoy Thanksgiving, but the truth is that's just a good excuse for me to eat, have some fun, and get ready to say Merry Christmas and buy my Christmas tree. So in one month, I get to tell you Merry Christmas, which is very exciting for me. Uh, and we've got Halloween coming. But the holidays just have so much around them, don't they? I mean, we love it. The, the smells, the weather is changing. Even this morning as we woke up, there's the food, there's the football. And when it comes to the holidays, there's always the people. You've got your parents, your grandparents, your long lost relatives. You've got in-laws, you've got outlaws, you've got people who should be against the law. I mean, you've got all kinds of different people coming out of the woodwork on the holiday season, which is why we decided to launch a brand new series today to partner with you as we head up towards Thanksgiving. And we're calling the series, Those People. How do we deal with the seemingly difficult people in our life? The hypocrite, the manipulator, the needy, and the critic. How do we live and love and serve in such a way that we engage with those people who will come into our lives in this holiday season? And as we jump into this series, I just want to give us a few foundational facts about those people to get us all on the same page so we can get our guards down and we can have some fun together for the next four weeks. So three facts about those people. 
The first one is this. We have all been those people at some point in our lives. We've just got to own it. Uh, you've been those people. If you don't find yourself on this list somewhere, I guarantee someone else is thinking about you right now. So just ask them. Because we've all been, we've all been those people. And the second fact is, is this. God loves those people. Isn't that the great news about God? Isn't that why we love to come here each week? Because we believe that God's not some distant deity out there, but he's like a personal, powerful, loving Heavenly Father who's here with us, who loves us at our best and who loves us at our worst, not depending on how we act, but depending on his great love for us because he created us and knows us and has a purpose for us. And God loves those people. Remembering that fact that we've been those people and God loves those people, it keeps us humble as we have this discussion. It keeps us from being judgmental. Um, It keeps us from feeling superior. It just keeps us in the right spot so we can laugh and enjoy it and even elbow our spouse when I find myself being those people. And the third fact is this. God gives us guidance, and this is key. He gives us guidance in the Bible about how to engage with those people in our lives in healthy ways. God gave us the Bible, his words to us, to guide us about how to partner with him to experience the best in life. And he gives us guidance about how to engage with those people. So our three facts are, we've been, God loves, and God guides. Now, with that as our backdrop, we can have some fun talking about those people. So take a look at the screens as we dive in. I brace myself. I know who is about to enter in a few seconds. A plumber can't fix the drain that's about to hit me. Jake! Jake, you have to help me, Jake! This is Peter Beggart. To say he's needy is an understatement. He always has a problem, and no matter how trivial, it's always a big one. So what's the matter? My life is a mess! When isn't it? I I don't know what to do. I've tried everything! How about not whining? Everybody, everybody's against me, Jake. You're my only friend. I sometimes think my life would be so much better if it wasn't for those people. No discussion of those people would be complete without talking about those chronically needy people. And we're not just talking about one category. Chronically needy people are everywhere. You've got financially needy people. Some of us at Thanksgiving are going to have that crazy Uncle Rico who's going to come and ask for a loan again this holiday season. I I apologize if your name is Rico. But we've all experienced the relationally needy person. That the person at at the office party who traps you in the corner all night long and won't let you out because they need to be connected to someone You've got that emotionally needy person, that downer. We'll call her Debbie Downer. Apologies again, Debbie. Who just constantly, sorry, I see you hugging. (laughs) They come to Thanksgiving and it's like, oh, everything is horrible. The world's falling apart. And you just want to say to them, it's called Thanksgiving. 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 The only person who should be sad on Thanksgiving is a Packer fan after my Bears team beat you. That's it. Everyone else should be happy. On Thanksgiving. (laughs) On on some level, we've all experienced chronically needy people. And the truth is, we want to love and serve and help those people. 
Now that varies. Our level of desire to help and serve and love varies depending on our level of compassion and our level of patience. But the more we grow and mature, the more compassion and patience we have for people around us. But the question becomes how? How do we love and serve chronically needy people? Because the truth is, if we don't do it well, we will actually hurt the people we want to help, and we could hurt ourselves in the process. So to start off our exploration today about how to deal with those people, we're going to talk about two different types of care and where each one's appropriate. The first is this. It's called relief. And relief is, it's immediate and temporary assistance. And relief is appropriate when someone has uh, a temporary need. They, uh, they lose a loved one, or they lose a job. Um, they have a baby. They, they just got married. They have a flood in their basement. Immediate needs that need relief. Immediate assistance. See, this is a great place. This immediate need is a great place for your life group to really come up and ambush people with love. I remember when we first had our, our, our daughter, Maddie, and we had two people from our life group come over, and they said, we want you guys to go on a date. We'll watch Maddie just go out. And it might have been our first or second time going out since we'd had Maddie. And we came home, and not only had they watched our daughter, but they had cleaned our entire apartment from top to bottom, and they baked cookies. It smelled like cookies. The only thing we'd smelled up to that point was something we don't want to talk about at church. <laughs> if you have a newborn, you know what I'm talking about. We smelled cookies coming in. That was relief. It was immediate assistance to meet an immediate need. Cleaning, childcare, meals, going over and sitting together. That's a great form of relief. But people who are chronically in need don't actually need relief. They need a second form of help called restoration. And restoration is working with people to restore them to their God-given potential. It's looking at someone and seeing the best in them and digging through all the different pieces and saying, I believe God has emplaced in you this great potential and I want to help you come out of where you are and come to a place of freedom. And I'll tell you right now, restoration is much more difficult than relief because restoration takes time. Because in order to, to serve someone, to see their God-given potential and pull it out in them, we have to actually get to know them. And it takes time to get to know people. Um, Restoration doesn't have an immediate payoff. If you're driving down the road and you see someone on the street side and they ask for a few bucks, you give a few bucks and you feel better about yourself in the moment. There's an immediate payoff, a cause and effect to that type of relief. But restoration oftentimes takes weeks or months or even years before you see a payoff on the other end. But restoration is what chronically needy people need. For example, somebody who's trapped in an addictive pattern doesn't need a few bucks. What they need is someone to walk alongside them, a sponsor, a close friend, to help them experience the freedom that God actually designed for them to live, to break free from that addiction, to partner with them. That's restoration as opposed to relief. Someone who's chronically insecure, they need somebody to say, you know what, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to love you at your best and love you at your worst, but I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to point you to a God who created you intentionally and uniquely on purpose for a purpose, who loves you right where you are, and who can fill that insecurity inside of you. 
It's different than just writing a card every six months. It's actually investing in someone's life to say, I'm not going to be able to meet that need that you have, but I know a God who can. If somebody's chronically in debt, not just having a rough patch, but chronically in debt, they don't need $500 because they're going to be back in debt again. What they need is someone to love them enough to say, let me teach you God's principles on financial counseling. Let me help you set a budget. Let me hold you accountable to that so that you can break free from this cycle. This is the difference between relief, which is time-bound for a season, and restoration, which is what people need when they're chronically in need. And we actually see this in the pages of the Bible. In the first church, the early church in the book of Acts in the New Testament of your Bible, we find a story of two church leaders, and they were heading to a worship service, and they encounter someone who is chronically in need— And so far, he's always asked for relief, and he's gotten the relief, but it has not elevated him from his position of being chronically in need. And we find the story in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And here are two church leaders. Their names are Peter and John. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was about three in the afternoon. And a man who had been lame from birth, he was chronically in need, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, And he was put there every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. What we have in the story is a man who's been crippled since birth. And every day, people take him to the temple courts to beg. Now, in the time that this was written, there were three main areas where people would beg. They would beg at the temple courts because that's where the religious people walked by. And there were these religious leaders called Pharisees. And we're told that they loved to do good deeds, to do charity in front of a lot of other people. And so needy people would go to these gates at the temple courts and they would find the Pharisees and say, help, I'm in need. And the Pharisees would look around, see a bunch of people around, and they'd say, oh, well, let me give you some money. And they'd start, you know, pulling out $20 bills and they'd hand them a one from their back pocket. That's kind of the way that it worked out. So they'd go to the temple gates. They would also go to the gates of rich people. And we see a story that Jesus tells about um, a man named Lazarus who was at the gates of a rich man. He was there begging. And the third place was on the roadside. And we see these stories as well of people on the roadside as we read the stories of Jesus's life. But this man happens to be at the temple gates. Verse 3 says, When Peter and John were about to enter, the man asked them for money. Give me some relief. Verse 4 says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention because he expected to get something from them. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he took him by the hand and he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet. He began to walk and he went about the temple courts. He was walking and he was jumping and he was praising God as he went about. See, the man wanted a hand out, but Peter gave him a hand up. The man wanted some money, but Peter gave him movement. Come on. And how much easier is it to give somebody a hand out instead of a hand up? How much easier to give, to give money when somebody really needs upward movement? See, that's the difference between relief and restoration. And people who are chronically in need in whatever situation, if we just offer relief, we're not actually giving a hand up. We're not actually helping upward movement. And that's what we're invited to do. The problem is it's just plain easier to give handouts instead of hand ups. Because it takes less time, because we feel better almost immediately. 
but folks who are chronically in need. And, and I don't know if it's just because we're more aware of need in the holidays or because people come out of the woodwork, but we will see people in need this holiday season. Folks who are chronically in need, they need someone to help them in the restoration process. And each week what I want to do is I want to give us three prayers that can help us become the people that those people really need. Because, spoiler alert, this series is really about us. What God wants to do in our hearts, how God wants to transform us so we can be the people that other people truly need. So here's the first prayer of a restorer, someone who's moving from relief to restoration. God, help me to give people what they truly need, not stop at what they want. The Bible has a word for that, giving people what they truly need and not just stopping at what they want. It's the word agape, and it's actually a type of love. See, in the English language, we say love, and it can mean a lot of different things. I, I love super burritos from Mi Pueblo, carne asada, if you're wondering. Uh, I love the bears, I love my chihuahua, and I love my wife. Now, someone who looked at that list in the ancient world when Jesus lived would say, how can you, how can you say the same thing about all of those things? That's just odd. How can you love a burrito and your wife the same way? Because they never would have done that. They have all these different words for love. And depending on the context, they would use a different word. And there's this word agape love, and that's the kind of love that gives people what they need, even above what they want. We're told that God loves us with agape love. We're told that God loved us so much that he looked down on this world and he saw that we had been separated from him because of this thing called sin that caused us to do the very things that were hurting us and hurting other people that were separating us from a perfect and holy God. God looked down on us and he knew what we needed. We needed a savior. So he came to this earth and he gave his life for us. We just celebrated that in communion, that when he gave his life on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin because he knew what we needed before we even asked. He loved us in a way that gave us what we needed in the long run. And then the great thing about God is he invites us to love other people the same way. The more we experience God's agape love for us, he says, now I want you to go out and give people what they need even if it's not exactly what they're asking for. So someone asks you for money, and you pray, and you say, God, help me to know if this is what they need. And if God says this is what they need, you give them money. But if God says, no, they don't need money, what they need is a job, like a real job, a 40-hour-a-week job, a job with benefits, a job where they have to get up in the morning and get off mama's couch and stop playing Xbox, a real job. Then restoration says, I'm not going to give you money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with you and help you set up a resume. And I'm going to help you do a job hunt. And I'm going to drive you to interviews because I want to help you get what you need, not just what you want. Someone says, I need, you know, 500 bucks for a car payment. You pray, God, is this what, is this what they need? God says, no, what they need is to sell their $20,000 car and buy a $2,000 car and stop making car payments. That's what they need. You see the difference? God, help me to see what people need, even above what they, what they want. I need you to make me feel special. You didn't call me in the last 10 minutes. That's what I need, right? Come on. No, no, what you need, what you need 
What you need is a friend who will love you and set up healthy boundaries. <laughs> and what you need is to know that you have a Savior named Jesus Christ who can fill that deep need, that deep insecurity, that deep desire to be known and loved at your best and at your worst. That's what you need. See, that's restoration, bringing people back to their original design. God, help me to give people what they truly need and not stop with what they want. And the second prayer is this. God, help me to stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their own consequences. Did you know that God actually designed the world to have natural consequences? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And here's God's goal in these natural consequences. It's that we would see that that was not a good choice and actually turn course and experience God's freedom. But anytime you and I rescue people from the consequences of their actions, we're actually short-circuiting what God wants to do in their life. Parents, let's just be honest for a second. Every time we rescue our kids from their actions, we are short-circuiting what God wants to do in their life with natural consequences. God designed our children to be able to fail small in our house under our care with small consequences so that they won't fail big somewhere else. I think my parents' theory was, I'm going to ground you now so the police don't throw you in prison later. See what I'm saying? (laughs) Aim small, miss small. Aim big, miss big. When I was in high school, I got in one fight. One fight. A kid walked up to my 1967 bright sky blue Volkswagen Bug with gray velour interior. It was a nice car. He took his key and he slashed across the side of it because we liked the same girl. Mm-hmm. So I went to the assistant principal that afternoon when I found it. I ran to the principal and I said, this is the guy who did it. I can't prove it, but I know he did it. You better find him before I do. And the assistant principal said, you better not go looking for him. So I went looking for him. And I found him in the parking lot and I pulled up in my bug and I got out and I ran at him and I pushed him down. And I thought that'll be the end because of my masculine prowess. And, and he jumped up and he punched me right in the nose. And it was on. And since he's not here, I'll just tell you, I won that fight. I beat him down. Little side note, I saw this guy about six years later after I had committed my life to God and he became a bodybuilder. He was huge. He was huge. So I walked up to him at this Starbucks in Southern California and said, hey, I want you to know I've given my life to God. I want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness for that fight. And he said, well, I became a Christian too, and I totally accept uh, your apology, and I apologize too. And we were good buddies at that point. Praise the Lord for protecting me from this big man. So we're fighting, and I'm pretty sure I was winning. And We got pulled apart. I was sent to the assistant principal's office and he said, Kevin, what were you doing? And I said, if you would have done your job and found him, I wouldn't have had to beat him up. And he said, Mr. Finkbeiner, don't say another word. You're suspended for three days. Go home. Now I went home to my father, who is also a principal. uh, And I said, dad, 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 you wouldn't believe how unfair this is. And my dad said, get in the truck. And he drove me up into the mountains. True story. I thought he was going to kill me. 
He drove me into the mountains out of cell service. And we talked about the inappropriateness of my actions. And he grounded me and he brought me home. And the next morning, he gave me a phone number. He said, this is the number to the school. You're going to call the assistant principal. You're going to apologize for disrespecting him and disrespecting that school. That is not appropriate. Now, how many of you educators would love to have a kid whose parent did that at your school? Come on. Yeah. That was my one and only fight. Because he did not short-circuit God's plan by protecting me from the consequences of my actions. Moms and dads, we're doing our kids no favors when we run out to Target at 9 o'clock at night because they tell us their science fair project is due tomorrow and they spent three weeks not doing it. Let them fail. Let them see the consequences for their actions. We're doing them no good when they crash their car because they were acting dumb and we go buy them another car that same weekend. Let them catch the bus. Let them walk. Yeah, because you're all adults. We're all amen in it now. We weren't so happy then. Moms and dads, if you're a 25-year-old who is of able body and mind, who is not in school, who does not have a job, is sitting on your sofa playing Xbox and sleeping in, it's time to tell them Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Your present is you get to go find an apartment and join the real world. Hello! Because you want them to succeed. You want them to get married someday. She doesn't want no scrubs. She wants a guy with a job. So help him out. Come on. God, help me to not short-circuit your plan by continually rescuing people from their consequences. And the third prayer is this. That's just fun. God, help me to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. Because when it comes to this topic and the amount of need in the world, it's so easy for us to become overwhelmed and to freeze up. There are too many people that need too much, and I can't help everyone so I'm not going to help anyone. That's when we pray, God, help me do for someone what I wish I could do for everyone. Help me invest in someone. I can't invest in everybody, but I can invest in somebody. I can't be everything to everybody, but I can be something to somebody. God, help me do for one. If you pray that prayer, God will bring one or two people into your life to invest your time, to invest your energy, to see the best in them, to believe in them, and then to help them become restored to who they were created to be. But it always happens in the context of relationship. Always, which means it's going to take time, which means we can't do it for everybody, but we can do it for somebody. Well, let's end the story back where we started in Acts chapter 3 in verse 9. It says, when all the people saw this man walking around and praising God, they recognized that he was the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and with amazement at what had happened. When the people saw this man restored to his God-given best, they were full of awe and wonder and amazement about this God who could do this great thing in someone's life. And I love that. I love that because these two church leaders went deeper into the process of restoration that the rest of the people were intrigued about God. They wanted to know about him. They were full of awe and wonder. When we help people in a restoration process, whatever it is that they're in need for, when we actually invest in them, two things will happen. One, 
by God's grace, it will change their life on earth. And two, as we pray and seek God, God will open up their lives to change their eternal destiny. What a great thing that is. When God grabs someone and says, I have better for you than this life you're living right now. Because I love you, I'm going to partner with you in this process to become the best person that you could be, the person you were created to be. What a gift it is when then in, somewhere in that process, they realize, oh wow, God is real. And God has a plan and a future for me. And God wants a relationship with me. And God is not only changing my life in this world, but God is changing my life in eternity. And it all happens in the context of relationship. That's why restoration takes so long. Because we actually have to know people and love people and serve people. And that's not a new idea, a new life. That idea comes straight from the Bible. We're told that God does a great work in our lives. That God is in the process of transforming us, of healing those broken places in our lives, of redeeming the places where we have acted in such a way that's hurt other people. And that all that work that God does, he does in the context of relationship. After Jesus died and then three days later rose again, some of his last words to his followers were this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a relationship that transforms. And if you're here today and you're checking out Christianity, maybe you're new to new life, maybe you've been around for a while, I want to tell you, we talk about a lot of great tips at this church, a lot of things that will make your life better. Because quite honestly, God knows the way life works and following God's plan will make your life work better. But if you want to experience transformation, deep transformation, it comes in the context of relationship with God. Only always in a relationship with God. God doesn't want to be this distant deity who says a bunch of rules and gives you tips and tricks about how to make life a little better. God wants to be like a personal heavenly father, leading and guiding you, encouraging you and empowering you to live the life you were created to live. And if you're here today, and God's always been out there, but you've never had a relationship with God, I'm going to pray a simple prayer that would give you a chance to say yes to God to start that relationship, and then in the context of that relationship, to experience the transformation that God is offering to you. And if you're ready to do that, first I'm going to pray for all of us as we start into this series, and then I'm going to pray for you specifically, giving you a chance to repeat that prayer of commitment after me and to start this journey with God. And it's the best decision you could ever make because God promises to be with you always. Always. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, in the quiet of this moment, would you identify for us one or two people that you might be inviting us to partner with in this life, to believe in them and to see the best in them and to help them in their own restoration process as they experience your best? As we continue on this series, Lord, would you, would you show us as a community how to love deeply, how to give freely, and how to serve completely. How to be those people that those people really need. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to start this journey with God, to enter into a relationship with him, and in the context of that relationship, to experience God's best, then you can 
you can pray and just invite God to be your leader and your savior on this journey. You can whisper these words, just repeat this prayer after me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to follow you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you made that decision today, I want to tell you, it's the best decision. Not always the easiest decision, but always the best decision because God is your partner in life. He's going to guide you and lead you because God will never leave you or forsake you. And in the context of that relationship, God will guide every part of your journey. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.